with Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos, and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Ellaveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Daily Coast, The Brief, our weekly show about politics. I'm Marco Melissa. I'm here today with Carolyn Fiddler, our typical co-host. Uh, Carrie Alleveld is out with a family illness. So Carolyn is going to join us today, which is actually quite okay, because today we are going to be talking about Virginia. And Carolyn may be one of the foremost authorities on the politics of Virginia. So if you don't know... Virginia has a statewide election this November. It's one of just a handful of states that have these sort of middle uh, off-year elections. And oftentimes, Virginia is like a favorite of the political class because it's considered a bellwether. Like the president gets elected. One year later, you have these Virginia elections in a state that is still not as not as blue, say, in New Jersey, which also has statewide elections. So everybody wants to see just how motivated both sides of that political divide are to give some clues into what the next year's midterm elections may uh, may sound like. So uh, Republicans actually think they have a chance. Polls are showing that we may actually have a competitive race in Virginia. Four years ago, outgoing Democratic governor, uh, the outgoing Democratic governor won comfortably by nearly nine points. And this was after George, uh, George Bush, after Donald Trump had been elected. So it was a big sign that Democrats were very motivated and that Republicans might have a hard time in that coming midterm election, which they did. Former Governor Terry McAuliffe served in 2014 to 2018. He's back again for another try. And Republicans have nominated Glenn Youngkin. Like in California, Democrats are centering the COVID pandemic in their campaign, arguing that Republicans will put everyone at risk with their anti-vaccine and anti-mask mandate agenda. Meanwhile, Democrats need to protect their lead in the House of Delegates, where all 100 seats are up for grabs. Democrats currently have a 55-45 advantage. There is no seat up for grabs in the Senate, where Democrats have a narrow 21-18 majority. So at least that is safe if nothing else. So joining us today to talk about this critical election coming in about 15 minutes will be two on the ground experts. Really excited to talk to them. Gwen Mills is the secretary treasurer of Unite Here. She was the architect of the field program that uh, was the largest labor field program in the 2020 election cycle. And it was very active in states like Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, in States that are that close, every bit helps. Unite Here played a critical role in locking down those states for the Democrats in 2020. They're active in Virginia this year, so we will talk about their efforts in Virginia. Also joining us in a little bit will be Tram Nguyen. She is the co-executive director of New uh, New Virginia Majority. The organization has registered nearly 300,000 new voters and has knocked on over three and a half million doors in its existence to get people of color and young people to the polls. So these are two people that are on the front lines of this battle to keep Virginia blue. Caroline, why are we even talking about keeping Virginia blue when it seems that the state has 
become pretty reliably and solidly democratic? <laughs> well, uh, so glad you asked. It wasn't all that long ago when Virginia was not reliably blue. In fact, it was very, very reliably red. And that sort of transformation happened very quickly, which should indicate to a careful observer, I think, that it's not a full trans transformation. Virginia certainly is geographically diverse. Uh, you have your big cities, but then you've got a lot of rural outlying areas, a lot of agriculture still happening. Mining was a big, uh, a big industry in Virginia for generations. But so the state is very is a very mixed bag, like most states, sure. But we will see uh, if Democrats are are really as strong in the state as many seem to suspect they are. And Democrats are still are very strong in the state. But like, you know, we defy that national sort of like, okay, a Democrat's in charge and his approval rating is dropping. So how, what does that mean for a Democrat in Virginia in that off off year election? But let's keep in mind that another reason that a lot of people are paying attention to Virginia right now is that, well, it's very close to D.C. and a lot of reporters who don't have other elections to pay attention to this year. So uh, Virginia does get a little bit of outsized attention, but I don't think it's outsized at all because Virginia is incredibly important and has undergone a lot of drastic changes in the last uh, decade and a half. So from what I gather, it looks like the battleground is the suburbs. That, you know, you have the reliably, the D.C. suburbs are reliably democratic. Then you have the Alabama part of Virginia, which, you know, the rural uh, line. So those are heavily Republican. So you have a battleground in the suburbs and the Democratic nominee for governor is trying to appear reasonable. And so that that he can, you know, and I saw I was reading somewhere where, where one of his consultants said that young Ken, he's he's bringing together the never Trumpers and the always Trumpers together. Do you have any sense that he's actually managing to walk that tightrope being, I don't know, um, anti-democracy enough to appeal to the Trump loyalists while still being palatable to Republican voters that at one time probably were Republican and have switched because of Donald Trump and other reasons? Well, Youngkin is trying so hard to be palatable to both ends of that very odd spectrum that he's ended up standing for nothing. And uh, I think that's actually going to bite him in the butt more than anything else in terms of who he's trying to court, who he's trying to turn out to get those that shrinking uh, portion of Republican votes in the Commonwealth, because that portion does seem to be shrinking over time. But it is about who shows up, obviously. So we'll see how excited Democrats are uh, in November versus how excited Republicans are. But Youngkin hasn't just given them very much to get excited about. He won't come out strongly, you know, against uh, uh, for restricting uh, access to safe and legal abortions. He won't come out super strongly for Trump or for uh, throwing out the results of the 2020 election in Trump's favor. So who exactly is he exciting? I guess that's a big question. And, and we saw in California, that was a big sort of question in the run up to California. Who is going to turn out and vote? And the conventional wisdom was that Republicans were fired up about their chance to get rid of a, of Gavin Newsom, the Democratic governor, and that maybe Democratic voters would be less inclined to turn out and vote. What ended up happening is me. Everybody turned out and voted. And when in California, as a heavily Democratic state, Gavin Newsom won by more votes this time around in a recall than he did when he first originally won. And that had been a record level of victory, over you know, 60 percent of the vote. So 
that that kind of shattered the conventional wisdom, and suddenly the DC press forgot about California literally overnight <laughs> because it no longer fit any narrative. Right? It, yeah, it would have been interesting had it been close, but once it just sort of reaffirmed that everything's status quo, then so much we would be lucky if we had status quo in Virginia. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is so it really is. This is not a persuasion campaign. This is not about trying. It's about who turns out their voters more. And maybe not even that, because Democrats have they've won Virginia comfortably. So they, they can even suffer a little bit of attrition and still win. But what does that first of all, do you get do you get a sense, any sense? And I guess we'll talk to two guests that probably have their pulse right on the on the you know here in a little bit. But sure. you do you have a sense of what? the level of engagement and excitement is right now? Uh, the level of engagement and excitement is pretty high on both sides. Um, we're hearing more about the GOP and their sort of ground game and field operations. So I'm also very excited to talk to these folks we have on just uh, in a little bit about the ground game on the Democrats' side in Virginia. But um, the, thing about, the thing about this election, too, that isn't I'm not seeing a ton of discussion about is the fact that, like, Terry McAuliffe is – running for non-consecutive re-election. Terry McAuliffe is a known quantity in Virginia, whereas Youngkin keeps putting himself out there as a cipher a little bit. Um, Like no one, as I mentioned before, no one really knows what he stands for because he won't come out very strongly for or against very much. Uh, So uh, you have, you'll have uncertain voters looking at like, okay, who's this guy, this Youngkin dude? Oh, Terry McAuliffe, he was governor already. And things didn't catch on fire while he was governor. So eh, I'll vote for him again. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that, too. What about the, the race for the for the General Assembly? Are they do they have new lines yet or is it still using the, the old lines we're for using, apportionment? We're still using the old lines, which are the lines resulting from a lawsuit that found unconstitutional racial gerrymandering in the Commonwealth. So the lines that were that Democrats are running on are the same ones they ran on in the last two uh, cycles in Virginia. So they are lines that are fairly fair and Democrats absolutely have some pickup opportunities, but Democrats are also playing very much playing defense in the house of delegates in Virginia too. So, yeah, that's a 55 45 seat democratic majority. Do you see a, a, do Republicans think they have a chance of a majority or is it, are we playing around the edges of that, of that, the current composition of the assembly. I, I think, and um, I feel like a lot of sort of observers donations seem to bear out the fact that a lot of people who are very active in democratic politics, and I don't mean just activists, I mean, actual like businesses and high dollar donors, they are not banking on a Republican majority come next January, but of course they're hedging their bets as they always do. Yeah. Is there anything going on in this election that you see that I mean, you talked a little bit about it's not getting a lot of attention? Like, what do you think the big story out of Virginia is right now that really the D.C. press is completely missing? Do you see anything like that at all? Uh, well, I think that I, I think, well, the D.C. press has talked a bit about uh abortion rights in Virginia and how what's happened in Texas that we've talked about on the show previously has really sort of juiced engagement, uh, especially among progressives in Virginia, because uh, you end up with a Republican governor and, oh, what if Republicans were to take back the House of Delegates? That doesn't that smell, spells very bad things for uh, the future of uh, abortion rights in the Commonwealth. So um, that's certainly a story. And um, and what's happening in the suburbs and vis-a-vis sort of 
the the current state of COVID in the Commonwealth is is also a big issue. Um, a lot of mandates are starting to go to into effect, or not just not super strong mandates, but like mandate or you get tested every week. These things are going into effect, and they're polling pretty well. And case rates in Virginia are falling almost all the way across the map, and that's going to be very good for Terry come November. Yeah, the California became eventually it sort of evolved into a referendum on COVID mitigation strategies, including masking and vaccination mandates. And Republicans, for some reason, I think they get sucked into a little Facebook echo chamber and they think it's a winning issue. Right. Because every time oh, freedom and our children mm-hmm. unmask our children. And it, it turns out that that and polling bears it out that most people do want sensible precautions because nobody wants to die a horrible, painful, lonely COVID death. But in Virginia, it seems like the Republicans are really, they're, they're, that's the strategy they're taking, right? It's, is it anti-masking mandates and anti-vaccination mandates, right? I mean, that there's a very clear division battle line or, you know, one side or the other, right? Republicans are very much yeah. anti-mandates. <laughs> It's become this, this this strange cultural thing all across the country and this partisan thing all across the country too. So yeah, I think I think a really correct take would be what kind of lives are Virginians living at the end of October, beginning of November? Are we, you know, are we having to mask up to do anything? Do we have like crowd restrictions on things? Or have things continued to improve? Are case rates continuing to fall? Vaccination rates rising? If that's still happening, that's good news for Democrats all the way down the ballot in November. So we have our first guest. I think we're ready to bring our first guest on. She is Tramp Nguyen. She is the co-executive director and I think a co-founder as well of New Virginia Majority. Uh, they've knocked on so many doors. They have, uh, they have uh, registered hundreds of thousands of voters. Uh, Trent, welcome so much. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So can you start off telling us a little bit about what New Virginia Majority does? Yeah, so we were founded in 2007 with this premise that uh, if we engage more people of color, more new Americans, more young folks, that we could really shift the political landscape in Virginia. And so... Congrats, you did it. I know, right? That was <laughs> the last 14 years or so, um, we've done it, right? We have methodically... Uh, engage more folks, register them to vote, encourage them to vote. And, you know, elections are never our finish line. And so a lot of the advocacy that happens post-election has been, you know, very successful. The last two years, we've had a lot of first in the South policies that have changed. Um, And, you know, that's what's at stake in this election, frankly. And I think our voters know that. So, Guys, I'm going to bring in our second guest, and we're going to sort of carry on the show in a little bit of a panel format to talk about uh, what's going on in Virginia on the ground. Our second guest is Gwen Mills. She is the Secretary Treasurer of Unite Here. She is the architect of a uh, the largest labor field program in 2020. Is that true, Gwen? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, and I was reading the bio and I talked about how this this program was deployed in states like Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Arizona. And we all know that we won those states by about a margin of nothing. And so clearly, Gwen, you're the reason Joe Biden <laughs> is president today. When when when, uh, when races are that close, everybody's the reason. <laughs> you know, yeah. We all got to put it up. Our... So Gwen, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have us here, to, to have thank you, you here. <laughs> thank you for so, the invite. Thank you. 
So we, we, we started asking Tram what New Virginia Majority was doing in Virginia. So let me ask you what work Unite Here is doing in Virginia to help win this November's elections. Yeah, absolutely. So I caught the the tail end of Tram's comments, and I could not agree more. And um, all of the work that they've done to invest and build the new voting majority in the state, both during elections and afterwards, has been great. Our union um, is uh, hospitality workers, um, hotel workers, food service workers, airport workers. Uh, We have about 3,000 members in Virginia. And just like Tram said, the work to build uh, working class power and power for people of color and young voters happens <laughs> all around the election cycle. So our members are organizing in the shops and um, trying to improve the quality of their lives, their wages, their benefits, their health care, and now uh, really uh, handle COVID and COVID layoffs. In this election in particular, we have a whole team on the ground that's going door to door. To date, we've knocked on about 60,000 doors in Virginia. And I have a bunch of stories to tell you uh, from our team, and that's that's what we're up to. We believe that in races this close, we all matter, but every voter in the state matters, and particularly ones that feel like they don't have a reason to vote because they feel disconnected and ignored by the system. One of the one of the big questions I have right now is is there's sort of this assumption that Virginia is a safe blue state now. And suddenly you've seen polling and there's some chatter that may be not so safe. Uh, maybe we need to pay attention. And we saw a lot of this in California where it's like, don't take it for granted. And, and once people didn't take it for granted, we won fine. <laughs> but it was a question of like, let's make sure everybody votes that needs to vote. Is there danger in Virginia that, that, is there any real that you guys are seeing any real danger on the ground or is this just more of a if we do what we need to do and we turn out to vote, we're going to be fine? I'll ask you, Gwen, first. Absolutely. I think there's definitely a danger. I think Virginia is not a blue state. I spent the year of 2008 in Virginia working in southern Virginia um, and Richmond and Petersburg and Tidewater to Uh, register 10,000 people to vote and have the state go blue for the first time since 1964. So in my memory, Virginia is not a blue state. It's very much a battleground. It's very much a purple state like Nevada and Arizona and those other places you mentioned. So we talked to a lot of voters on the ground um, and most of them that we talked to do support McAuliffe and people in the, in the delegate races that we're supporting but too many think that their vote in the primary was their vote or that their application to get a mail ballot was actually the ballot itself. And the door-to-door work, the talking to people, the connecting on people's doorsteps where they're at, if we don't do more of that and ramp up beyond what we're doing, we will not win this election. I don't think we're on track to win without more investment in the field program. Trent, you're also actually. So let me ask Trent the same question, Carolyn, and then I'll let, you know you can come in. Um, I'm curious what you're seeing. I know you're focused a lot on more of the you know uh, communities of color and young people. What are you seeing as far as engagement in this uh, on the ground, you know, towards this November election? Well, I mean, I'll first say that I'm in always a constant and perpetual state of anxiety, 
when it comes to elections. Yes, <laughs> and I, there's always so much on the line every year. So I will never feel good until, you know, the polls actually close and, you know, we've done everything we can and we've laid everything out on the line. That being said, I mean, we, we're having great conversations on the doors. You know, last year was hard. We weren't as, you know, much on the doors as, you know, we've been previously. We're back out there today. Uh, I mean, this year on the phones, on the doors, having really productive and positive conversations with, with voters. They know what's at stake. Healthcare is top of mind. We are still in the middle of this pandemic, right? And so there's uh, a lot of, you know, concerns about going backwards if we don't keep the Democratic majority and keep Virginia moving forward, not only on healthcare, but on education and on, on all kinds of issues that we've made so much progress on. So I think that, you know, if we keep this up over the next five weeks, then voters will turn out and we will do what we would have needed to do to keep to keep our majority but there's a lot of work to do over five weeks (laughs) like so we're not letting up at all and and i think in part because we know that there's so much on the line right real lives and livelihoods are absolutely at stake right now and not only for virginia but virginia is always a bellwether state and you think about like the midterms in you know after every single you know gubernatorial off cycle that we have in Virginia, it bodes, you know, it's a very uh, telling story that folks look to when they, so when we think about 2022 midterms, I think people are going to take a look at Virginia and what happened here as an indication of, you know, what they need to focus on or what voters are going to be important and what the electorate's going to be. And so, yeah, I'm just in a constant state of anxiety. Uh, I'll be honest. It just does not go away. <laughs> I find that highly relatable. As someone, who was, as someone who was working in Virginia back when, see, I, I see, I see House of Delegates like signs that don't have Republicans Party on it, and I remember when Democrats used to not put their party on signs in Virginia. I, we get that all the time. Like mm-hmm. when people are like, "Oh, I just saw this ad, or I have this lit. It's bilingual." Like, but it doesn't say Republican. I mean, they are going after our voters in a very. Just a, you know, we're a nice person. Give us a chance. And right. we have to do a lot of the education on the back end. Be like, well, it's like, actually, no, they really actually don't like you at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I am, I, so I have, I have heard some, uh, no actual data to this effect, but as, since y'all are on the ground, I would love to get y'all's take on this. I am hearing tale of uh republicans ground game being really robust this cycle i was wondering if y'all could offer some comments on that make me feel better make me feel worse <laughs> i can start i don't know if it would make you feel better <laughs> perpetual state of anxiety this is just I where i'm gonna be in, until november so it's fine <laughs> i suspect it I haven't seen the Republicans have as much of a robust ground game as they have had this year. And not only that, but they are reaching out to our voters, right? They are using bilingual lit. They're hitting the Latinx population, you know, the Asian population, wishing folks a happy Korean Thanksgiving in language. And I'm like, wow. Oh. <laughs> some very specific things that it's just new to them. The other thing that is a, I think, um, a change from last year is they're really encouraging people to early vote, and oh. so it's it's a huge switch for them. And so it's also hard for us to just look at early vote numbers and get a sense of okay, are we doing okay, or are we not? Right. So fun fact for for probably many viewers out there, you, you cannot 
registered by party in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So we don't know what who requested those ballots in terms of you know how they are registered in the Commonwealth because you can't do that. Ditto certainly to everything that that Tram has said, and the Republican strategies are getting more sophisticated on the ground. That being said, I haven't. There, our team hasn't seen as many door knockers, the sort of same type of thing. But I do think those sophisticated efforts um, make inroads. And I think the Democratic Party takes uh, working class voters, voters of color, young voters for granted, you know, sort of way too many times. And I think the work that we're collectively doing to get out and really talk to people on their doorsteps to hear about the issues to um, to just make that human to human connection and not take something for granted um, based on some demographics is just needs to be done all the way through till the end and off cycle and next cycle and over and over. Yeah, it's exhausting that we have that conversation about the Democratic Party taking every, pretty much everybody for granted. Every <laughs> everybody, right? Single cycle, every time. So. Um, Gwen, you're, you represent hospitality, hospitality workers. You're like, you basically represent what everybody calls essential workers now. These are people that are working face to face in hospitality situations. They are at incredible risk of COVID, of contamination. Is that a motivating factor in this campaign? Is that, is, 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 the Republican effort to oppose mass, uh, mask and vaccine mandates, is that playing with your people or, or is that just part for the course, just, just something else Republicans are on the wrong side of? No, I think absolutely. I think our members want to have safe workplaces, want to be able to get back to work and continue their livelihoods, and they can see um, the sort of Republican agenda making that difficult. But I think it's it's more that they've actually been very moved by what um, the Democrats have put in place over this year. So I, w- I was just um, hearing from one of our canvassers, Deepak, who's 25 years old, um, who you know works in the hotel industry in Washington, D.C., who ran into a voter. The voter said he was independent and was worried that his kids were going to bear the burden of all the debt from the American Rescue Plan. So you know, he had gotten a Republican talking point there. And Deepak says to him, you know, I told him my story about not having a job in insurance during COVID about the hotel industry laying me off and being able to benefit from ARP to put food on the table and rent and said, look, this money is going to people who need it. And it's not overspending. It's like basic affordable health care, like wage replacement during the layoffs. And that that's the type of thing that our members um, are more focused on, um, and that motivates them and in turn motivates the voters that they're talking to. Right. Tram, how, is, how has canvassing changed from 2020 to 2021 just in, in terms of safe interactions with, with uh, voters and so on? Are people able to go back out and knock on doors safely again? We, we've been knocking doors since March in person. Um, you know, we have a lot of safety measures in place. Folks are still masked despite being vaccinated. We have a vaccine mandated our organization, so folks are vaccinated and all that. But we still, you know, have folks mask up. Um, they, they're still physically distancing, you know, just to make sure that folks are feeling comfortable and safe having these conversations. And also because we have a responsibility to keep our communities safe, right? We look at, you know, 
uh, infection rates and vax rates in communities of color and they're lower, right? And so we just want to make sure that we are also keeping our communities very safe. But we're back on the doors. It's slower, right? Knock rates, contact rates are slower because of all of these different precautions um, that we're, we're taking. Um, but, you know, again, the conversations that we're having on the doors are are amazing. People are excited to talk to people again. And we saw that. <laughs> so relatable. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, there's a human. We've got to move this along. I remember knocking doors uh, over the summer. And there was one woman who I had to, like, have a 25-minute conversation with. I'm like, I got to I gotta go. I got to go. But, you know, it's been <laughs> interaction in a really long time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely ways to do it safe. And we make sure that our, our community and our canvassers are all safe. Yeah. Gwen, you, you, you know, when I was reading up on, on your bio, there, there's a lot of talk about how you really sort of put together a, a field program that was COVID safe and, uh, and mitigate a lot of those risks. Can you talk a little bit about what you helped implement that made that canvassing safer? And have you changed that at all this year, mm-hmm. given the vaccines and, and yeah, less risk? Sure. Yeah. Um, just speaking, it was, you know, if you rewind, we were launching our field program in June of last year. So two months after COVID started in Nevada and Arizona in particular, those swing states out West that we needed to win the presidential race. And, you know, no one wanted to go on the doors. The party wasn't knocking. And what our experience was, was if uh, essential workers are being on the put on the front line to go to work to keep the economy running. Then can't and we can have people be safe doing that. Then we can have people be safe canvassing. And we wanted to consider canvassing like the essential work of democracy last summer in 2020. And so we developed these protocols where we called it a contactless canvas, and we trained people as if everyone we came into contact with had COVID your fellow canvassers, potential voters, anyone you met along the way. So our system wasn't to try to keep people with COVID out. It was to take the precautions, social distancing, the hand washing, the masks, not being indoors at all um, to the next level. So we launched on Zoom a lot. We ultimately progressed to launching in parks. Um, This year, one thing that's changed is we will with a big enough space, go indoors to have some groups of people do training and things like that. Um, One of the best things that our members figured out last year about being on the doors was we wouldn't talk to anyone unmasked at the door. So they'd knock on the door, they'd stand back six feet, someone would come to the door and we'd say, hi, I'm from so-and-so, can you put your mask on? 75% of voters put their mask on right away. But our members being hospitality workers were carrying a box of masks and handed them over as if it was a plate of hors d'oeuvre. And the other 25%, 20%, you know, of those folks just like took the mask and put it on. So we had almost no conversations at the door where we had to say, I'm sorry, we can't do this conversation because you won't mask up. And um, those protocols really kept us out there um, on the doors through 2020 safe. And um, yeah, we continue to practice them today. Tram, I have a question, um, sort of uh, more more field stuff, because I just think that's a really cool thing to talk about. And, you know, our community here at Daily Coast is a lot of organizers, a lot of folks who do this work in their own states. And so I'm curious about, like, sort of what you're seeing um, 
at the doors on the ground and you're organizing now versus what you were seeing uh, in 2019, I guess specific to like House of Delegates races, because that's the overlap between now and 2019 in Virginia. So, uh, yeah, do you have a sort of a some some comparison, contrasting you can do there or? I would say a lot of the top issues are the same, but it's how people are talking about them that is a little bit more nuanced, right? So, for example, healthcare is just a perpetual number one issue for folks, even when we were fighting for Medicaid expansion for, I don't know, that was like a seven-year fight to, you know, um, to today where healthcare is really around the pandemic. People are very nervous. Um, you have families who have kids who are in person at school now. A lot of them aren't vaccinated, right? And so it's not just about vaccine mandates and masks and keeping us safe from COVID, but also what happens if I get sick? Um, and so that sort of translates into family, uh, paid family and medical leave being a number one issue, which, you know, if Democrats hold a trifecta, we're very hopeful that that's going to be a number one priority, right? And so um, so I think the, the, the issues might remain very similar, but the conversations have evolved in part because we've also made so much progress in our state legislature, right? So um, it's a lot of, oh, you like that thing, you like marijuana legalization. Everybody gets excited about marijuana legalization. (laughs) Oh, wow. Right. And then you remind them, it's like, well, what we did wasn't quite there just yet, right? It's not going to be fully legal until 2024. And guess what? Who is in the House of Delegates really, really matters. And so if you care about that, like we, we got to get these folks back in. Um, and so it's a little bit more of a, uh, the, the conversations have taken on a little bit more urgency because there's so much on the line. And maybe that's why I'm always just anxious because I'm like, oh my God, if we lose, it's, we go backwards. Like they could really just undo everything that we just haven't even had time to celebrate yet I, know, right? <laughs> I, celebrate. I want my celebration damn it so <laughs> well, i think that's that's like the conversations have definitely taken on more urgency yeah uh gwen we're seeing kind of in that theme um we're seeing in some national polling that people don't give democrats credit for things like the american rescue um plan where um they say that they have been helped by government programs, but they haven't been helped by Joe Biden, right? That, that kind of formulation. Um, is there any sense of that maybe? Do you see that at all in Virginia where you've had this Repu- uh, Democratic trifecta and it, there's been great progressive legislation? Is there any sense that Democrats are getting credit for that? Or are people still not able, that it's still a messaging issue where Democrats can't sell their own accomplishments? I uh, not to sound like a broken drum, but I think the the best people to sell the Democrats' accomplishment are organizations like trams, are unions, are people who can relate to the voters on the doors and can do it face to face. Like just um, you know, another story. A lot of our members are East African and live in the Northern Virginia East African community, so we're there a lot in those high rises. And you know, one of our canvassers, Ismail was uh, was in the community and was talking to a voter in the neighborhood who said, ah, I'm disillusioned. I don't want to vote. Yeah, I got this and that. But it, it just was like, I think we run into this a lot, a kind of like, oh, you know, whatever. But Ismail was able to say, look, it really was Democrats that like expanded Medicaid, that passed this child 
care tax credit. I mean, the child care tax credit is a huge, oh. huge thing that Democrats could career on, you know, with every <laughs> voter with children in the country. But for some reason, it seems like it, it, we have to help deliver that message. And so, but as soon as you connect it, people are like, oh, yeah, 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 you know, and, and want to want to be right there. And and that face to face contact really, I mean, I mean, you're right. If you think about it, the the politicians, the party doesn't really have any that real direct connection. They have those communications via TV ads, via you know Facebook, whatever. But yeah, that person to person contact can be so incredibly powerful. I'm curious, Tram, when your canvassers knock on a door, do they have a script that they're working on? Uh, how do they get? How do you, how do you drill down to what that individual person is interested in? What's that process look like? Well, there is a script, but the script is sort of meant more as a guide, right, for folks to you know jumpstart a conversation. But we really focus on having authentic conversations with people, right? We're not just trying to make a pitch and then say, so can we count on you to vote for, you know, so-and-so, or can we count on you to vote in November? It's really a conversation around like, what is important to you? Like, what do you think is really at stake in this election and really teasing it out? And then that's when folks can have that conversation if it's specific to healthcare or if it's specific to education equity or whatever issue it is that the voter brings up. Um, And we have, you know, we train our folks up very well on all of the different issues and how to, um, you know, how to talk about them and where the candidates actually stand. But the script is a very helpful guide, right, to just make sure that, you know, you're asking the questions that do need to be asked because we do need to collect that data, right, in terms of, oh, that person said they're voting early. We can follow up with them sooner rather than later, for example. But, yeah, I think it's very important to make sure that our canvassers are as well prepared as possible as they have these conversations, but not to be too scripted as to sound robotic, right, that we are really developing um authentic conversations. Because remember, November's not our finish line. We're here to stay. We don't just, you know, do a get out the vote campaign and we're done. We follow up with these folks after November. So we phone, you know, do phone banking in November, December, leading up to our January legislative session. And I remember like the first time folks would hear from us, like they would actually be really surprised. And they'd say, wait, (laughs) wait, what? You're calling me again? Like I already voted. And we're like, no, 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 we know you voted, you know, that's great. But you also said that education was your number one issue. And, you know, we've got this legislation pending and we want to, you know, keep you informed. Like, do you want to be engaged with us? Do you want, and, and so we really try to develop those relationships. Um, so anyway, back to your, your original question. Yes, we have a script, but it's really more like a guideline so that we can have those conversations and, and organize people into, you know, civically engaged long-term members and, and citizens. And actually that's a good segue into what I think is a really uh, important thing to kind of point out and like, has always been something that sort of troubled me about the Democratic Party is is that infrastructure. Organizations like unions and organizations like New Virginia Majority that are around and stick around and don't just go away after an election are so important to building that long-term power in states. Um, and I think that, I think a lot of that gets lost. I know a lot of 
I know after the 2016 elections, a lot of new progressive groups popped up to fight Donald Trump. And not all of those are still around, but um, and I know obviously New Virginia Majority and obviously Unite Here and other unions long predate that. But uh, I think it's it's super important, and I'm super grateful to organizations like yours, like New Virginia Majority, for not just you know sticking it out through like 2008 or 2010 or 2012, but sticking around and doing that hard work. And I know that it is it's 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 a special challenge to go from that new organization to entrench part of an infrastructure. And that's, I know that's, that's hard. And I'm really glad that y'all are doing that. And what would be some advice you have for other groups that are trying to go from that, like new shiny thing to like real progressive infrastructure? Oh, keep at it. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's winning is going to feel like losing sometimes. It absolutely does. And like, I mean, look at what's happening in Congress, right? Like we wait, we, this should be easy. We all were around during, you know, after 09 in Virginia and that yeah, was just not a good year for Democrats in the couple. I mean, we've gotten our butts kicked many, many times, but when you win every inch that you win, you hang on to that inch and you keep fighting. And I think it's just this reminder that, you know, our work doesn't end with every election cycle. Our work is really about empowering our communities and, and making a difference, right? And that means that if we're going to try to unpack, you know, generations of policies that have be left a lot of our communities behind, to unpack that is going to take years and years and years. Our best campaigns, our most successful campaigns, Medicaid expansion, rights restoration, driver privilege cards for immigrants, like those have all been six, seven, eight, nine, ten year campaigns, right? Change is long, change is hard. We got to keep going and you will eventually change the political landscape. You look at Georgia, you look at Arizona, you look at all of these places. Those have all been 10 year plus battles, right? We're still moving forward. Gwen, I'm still fascinated by, by, door-to-door knockers because it's something that I would never do in a million years because I have (laughs) severe social anxiety. And so I am always so impressed and so grateful for people that do that kind of work. Who is doing this door-to-door knocking for you? Is it volunteer union members? Are you actively soliciting them? That how I know you built this incredible army of people that was incredible work. Where do they come from? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think this is just going to have to turn into a recruiting conversation because you are certainly welcome to join us. And we have all <laughs> sorts of ways for people to get over their anxiety because uh, honestly, a number of our members don't think that they don't think of themselves necessarily as a canvasser, right? But they're, most of the people are folks who have experience building organization in the shop. So maybe they've been someone that their coworkers turn to when they have problems at work or on the shop floor or, you know, someone, the employer shortchanges the hours in your check and you don't know what to do about it. Well, who do you go talk to? It's a, it's a leader in the workplace, right? And so, you know, part of what our, our local unions do is as we're working on leadership development and building that kind of um, skill and collective action in the shop is we talk about why, you know, we need elected officials on our side and we need policy changes and invite people, you know, first to come out on volunteer door knocks um, on Saturdays or something like that. We also do a lot of voter registration and citizenship work inside the shop. So our members learn how to take voter registration cards into their workplaces and talk with their coworkers. So it's people that they know in an environment that they're comfortable with 
and they start talking about politics and then they're like oh this is kind of fun and then they come out on a saturday and knock on some doors and talk to people in their neighborhoods right so you try to introduce a new element each time right and then by the time someone is actually taken a leave of absence for work or become a, a full-time paid canvasser where they're doing this six days a week, you know, 10 hours a day. At that point, they've had a number of experiences, often over multiple years. I mean, up to a decade, people have been in this learning and growing. And, um, and I think it, it's that experience that makes the conversations on the doors a quality experience because people have uh, you know, been chipping away at how to do this for some time. God, I love that. It's amazing. It's, um, you can read the stats about so many doors knocked and this many people were talked to, but really I've been in, you know, working in politics now, Daily Coast, almost 20 years. And I never really, I'm like almost a kind of a little bit afraid <laughs> of, of even asking about that. So it's really fascinating to get a little bit of a look inside uh, behind the curtain. So I really appreciate that. That was very, if I could just add, uh, I mean, every time the cycle starts again and I go knocking, I, you know, I knocked in all those States we talked about last year. And like, I always like to be on the ground knocking the doors myself. I still get a little pit in my stomach every time <laughs> when I start knocking again, because it's just something in our culture that we're not, we're, we're trained you know, in the dominant culture to get more isolated from each other. And I feel like as we break down those barriers, it's really great. And our members are just, I don't know, more power to them for trying to create a space where we can talk to each other more easily and across all sorts of different lines. Yeah, I know. That's, that's so cool. Trent, as you, I, I know a lot of your focus of the organization is younger voters. Younger voters came out in record numbers last year, still lower relative to other age demographics, but, you know, we're making some real progress with young voters. As your organization talks to young voters ahead of this November election, do you get a sense that we may be able to maintain some of that excitement and, and uh, engagement? Or do our young voters is always like, that's the big nut to crack, the biggest challenge? Well, I think with an off year like this year, it's the biggest hurdle is letting them know that there's an election, right? Like there's, it's really, really hard for, because these are newly engaged folks, right? They typically sort of pay attention in big years, like presidential years, where there's a lot of communication and outreach. And then, I mean, I almost always... I'm always reminding myself that 2021 is like almost over. It's like, what the hell happened to the year? (laughs) We just finished 2020. That's across the board. And with young folks in particular, it is just letting them know that there's even an election and then connecting it to the issues they they care about. Um, I hope that engagement is going to be as high as what, you know, as what we need it to be. But that's what keeps me up at night are the folks <laughs> run out that we need to turn out, whether that's young people, whether that's people of color, whether that's women. I mean, you know, it's it's a big question mark. So we have time for one more question. This is a very important question of both of you. So I'm going to start with Gwen is we Daily Coast is a community of activists, people who do stuff take action. What can they do? What can the Daily Coast community do to help you uh, accomplish your mission in Virginia? Well, if, if, Shani does, if you're just talking about making sure we win in November, 
and don't go backwards, as Tram said. I think, obviously, if you're anywhere near Virginia, you can join our phone banking or door-to-door -door, uh, knocking operations. You're welcome to join, Marcus. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> we also, um, we're still raising money to put more people into the field. We're sort of maxed out at what we can do with the current um, funding levels, and we think Every person that gets on the doors for that last month is able to convert a number of people who in their hearts um, are there, but for all the different reasons that we've laid out, need that personal connection. So I think uh, maybe there's a way in the links or whatever to share yeah. how you can do that, but that would be incredibly helpful. Every laid off hospitality worker who's spending the next month um, knocking on doors in Virginia will help get us over the finish line. Awesome. And Tram, your turn to talk about how the Daily Coast community can help you accomplish your mission. Well, I don't think it'll uh, shock anybody <laughs> that it's always a, a, hey, more resources would be great. So if folks could, um, you know, donate, uh, I know people are like, oh, it's so late. At, at what link? Well, hold on. I know people are like, it's so late in the cycle, but we can we can put that to good use. So um, donate links on our website, www.newvirginiamajority.org, all spelled out. Easy, easy ways to link up there. And then also we are, I mean, we are capturing volunteers from all over the country. So uh, our mobilize, uh, on mobilize.com, we've got our own little profile there. You can sign up. We are phone banking every night. That's where a lot of our out-of-state volunteers are plugging. If you are in Virginia, in DC, in Maryland, we are canvassing every day. And on the weekends, come on down. We had some nice, uh, nice folks from Baltimore come down this weekend and they were amazing. We have a crew from Seattle, Washington. Whoa. Who flew cross country in our with us and they are amazing. So I love it. Make it work. If you want to help Virginia, it's an all hands on deck moment. So uh, whatever you want to do, just reach out because we can plug you in. That's yeah, and I think if it, and, and Virginia is gorgeous this time of year. Just for the record, for anyone out of state looking for a little yeah, fall getaway, yeah, or they can right? also, you know, help elect some Democrats. Virginia is yeah. a great place for all of that. You got your leaf peeping, you got your door knocking. Let's make it happen. We still yeah. have more seasons, right? At least for now. <laughs> so yes, we are in fall. <laughs> yeah, I think for everybody, to, it's important to realize that Virginia is not just important for now, not for even the results of this election for Virginia residents themselves. This will set the narrative in the broader media on what 2022 is going to be like. It'll affect recruiting from both parties. If Democrats do well, we may get better recruits. Uh, we get some retirements. If Republicans feel that, okay, this is this is going to be another year like Last couple of cycles, they may retire. This really has a lot of trickle-down effects uh, in ways that you can't even imagine. And Virginia, even the infrastructure you're helping build in Virginia now will help us because Virginia will be a house, U.S. house battleground next year as well. So Virginia is incredibly important. Everybody should help. We are going to provide links. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm hoping, and I think we can do it, get Daily Coast to send out a fundraising email on your, both of your organization's behalf, let people know about the fundraising and the ability to volunteer and be boots on the ground, because this is an absolutely critical election. And I'm so excited that we had you guys. Gwen, thank you so much uh, from Unite Here a clearly a field savant and uh, so excited that you're doing this work in Virginia as well. 
Tram, so pleased to meet you. So pleased to, to know that New Virginia majority exists and that you're doing the work <laughs> that you're doing. So I am in awe of what you guys do because a lot of it is things that I couldn't. I, and I know, Gwen, I know you think I can, and maybe I could. Maybe I, I believe could. in everyone. I really do. <laughs> so thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks thank so you. much, y'all. Oh, that Carolyn, was awesome. <laughs> that, I, you know, for, for, I, I know I'm supposed to feel, what was it, perpetual anxiety? Was that the, yes. was that the term? That's my know. job. I'm the resident, okay. as a resident Virginian, I'm, I'm, I will take that on myself and you can be hopeful or where else you'd like to be. <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm feeling optimistic and i was feeling optimistic in california i'm optimistic that our people realize the importance of these elections and aren't going to sit it out like they did in 2009 i know you mentioned 2009 2009 2010 were disasters because liberals set it out they weren't happy with the pace of change from the obama administration and the fact that they sat out those years still haunt us to this very day does it ever because those maps, those maps that we're dealing with in places like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan, those are maps from 2010. And we do not have the numbers now to draw more favorable maps. So we're going to be stuck probably with, with bad maps at the state level in many of these states. And these are the people that are doing the, the BS fraud. It's like the one in Arizona. Uh-huh. They're trying to do one now in Texas. I know Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, Wisconsin. legislators are, yeah. are trying. So, these elections matter off year, on year, doesn't matter. President, House, Senate, state leg- legislator, your local mayor, your city council, these elections matter. School board. School board. Oh, boy, that, that extra matters right now. We're happening now over things like, you know, critical race theory. And mask and and Unmasked. yeah, and masking. So these elections matter. And it's great to know that we have incredible ple- people like Gwen and Tram that are that are on the ground working to make sure people realize because not everybody's like us plugged in and paying attention to politics and we can't blame people for not it's not that they're apathetic it's not that they're stupid it's not and that's fine they have lives yeah exactly and so it's it's if you have the ability to go and and knock on doors and make phone calls please do so and if you have the ability to donate to these organizations Please do so. Even like a $5 recurring donation once a month. I mean, those things are, are goals for these organizations. Literally, literally every bit helps, especially for these down ballot elections. Literally. Yeah. Every and these, these are not, this is not like a presidential campaign that has half a billion dollar budget and they're, and they're trying to, you know, get another 20 bucks from you. These are organizations that may have a million dollar budget and they touch so many people. It is mm-hmm. the best bang for the buck in the progressive movement. If you don't have a lot of money, that's the place to donate it to the organizations that are actually registering and turning out voters. Carol, do you have any last thoughts on Virginia? Uh, well, just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to, it's always interesting to talk to people who are not from Virginia and live far away from Virginia about Virginia elections. Since that is how we mark the passage of time here in the Commonwealth. Cause we literally have an election every single November. So, uh, so yeah, but, and you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the show about how one of the reasons people pay attention to Virginia is that it's very close to DC and the beltway media doesn't have a lot other elections really to pay attention to this year. However, these are still very important, no matter who you ask, 
where in the country and what else, whatever else they're doing. These elections are crucial and uh, we'll set the tone for next year and will uh, mean a lot for the future of uh, Virginians all across, all across the Commonwealth because will we continue to move forward or are we going to backslide? We'll see. Carolyn, thank you so much for joining me at the last minute, as a, <laughs> but glad you're able to join us and glad you're able to add your Virginia expertise to this conversation. Always. <laughs> Thanks to everybody that helped make the show possible. Walter Einenkelt for producing it. Thank you, the viewer, for watching, listening, however you consume this, this uh, broadcast, podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you're doing everything you can to help in Virginia and your own corner of the world. You can keep, uh, you can keep up with us at Daily Coast on Twitter. Uh, I guess on Facebook, too. And uh, thank you so very much. See you all next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at DailyCoast.com or on Twitter at DailyCoast. See you next week.